Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Alice Grodnick, and this is Moving Up, a podcast about secrets to success, struggles along the way, and life in general. Today in the pod, Travis Holloway, the co-founder and CEO of Solo Funds. Solo stands for social loans, and Travis has built a marketplace to connect people looking for small dollar loans, that's less than $1,000 for regular life stuff, and people looking to fund them. Kind of like Airbnb for loans. Anyway, Travis has a super cool story, so let's jump right in. Okay, Travis from Solo Funds, man. What's up? Nothing much. You know, another day in the wild 2020, uh, but excited to be here for sure. Thank you for having me. Excited to speak with you. I've been speaking to all these uh, LA fintech entrepreneurs recently, but it sucks because we have have to do it over Zoom. So hopefully sometime soon, I don't know when, but we'll get to uh, meet up, grab a coffee, grab a beer and, you know, become uh, friends in real life. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let's make sure we do that sometime soon, for sure. Awesome. So uh, like I just kind of alluded to there, you were a uh, LA fintech founder. I'd love to hear what you've founded. And then let's get into the story of uh, how you became a fintech entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, so, you know, obviously my name is Travis Holloway. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Solo. Uh, Solo stands for social loans. And ultimately, we're a mobile lending exchange that connects individual people, both individual lenders and borrowers, uh, for the purpose of providing more affordable access to small dollar loans. Um, in layman's terms, uh, we're essentially a marketplace that functions like Airbnb, just for loans. Um, so specifically loans under $1,000 for people who need access to you know, $300 to fix their car that recently broke down, $100 to repay a utility bill, um, or $50 just for gas. Um, that's essentially what Solo is. And, you know, fortunately, but unfortunately, um, we're existing in a time where a lot of people really need access, access to this type of small dollar capital that they can't get from, you know, traditional banks and, and other resources um, today. Right. So, so in, uh, if I'm summing this up, right. So in like the old days, like a bank took in money and then they, they lent it out to people and they had all these rigorous requirements and processes and the, the loans really probably weren't for less than a thousand dollars. Um, and you've said, okay, well, look, there's an opportunity here to kind of be more nimble, to lend out smaller loans, but not have the capital coming from a bank, having it come from uh, person to person. Is that, is that sort of, sort of right? Yeah, that's, that, that, that's right. You know, the, the, the major piece though, is the fact that banks, because they haven't been lending these small dollar loans for so long, what it has really created is an opportunity for new lenders, i.e. payday lenders to, you know, become, you know, very abundant. Uh, unfortunately, there's actually more predatory payday lenders in the U.S. than there actually are McDonald's, um, which means you know, you have more people who are paying an average of 400% interest rates for the capital that they need in these emergency situations 
And people are taking these loans because if their friends and family don't have the money or they don't want to embarrass themselves by going and taking a loan from a friend or a family member, uh, they're forced to take one of these predatory loans, largely because, again, banks are not focused on providing capital in the small dollar space. Wow. You're, you're right. That is quite a, uh, a predicament that, that our society has kind of gotten itself into here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's extremely disappointing. And, you know, when I realized that if, you know, the, the idea for, for my business really came from personal experiences, you know, I had friends and family who would ask me for small dollar loans. And, you know, my co-founder was experiencing the same thing. And we would have these conversations amongst each other about, well, you know, well, where could we send people to to get access to these small dollar loans rather than continuing to be the personal bank for our personal networks? And unfortunately, we just couldn't find a viable solution. And when we realized the effects of the payday lending industry and the debt traps that were, be, that were being created on, you know, in inner city communities where we grew up and, and rural communities where, you know, they're, they're both financial deserts and food deserts, just like the inner city as well. When we realized that uh, 400% interest rates were the norm, that the average borrower would take eight loans a year at $375 each, but could never build their credit, even if they pay them all back, they could only hurt their credit if they didn't pay it. Um, that's when we realized that we just didn't want to send anyone that we know, love, or cared about to go take one of those predatory loans. And we had to create a solution that was much more equitable for all. Yeah. Uh, amazing. And so, uh, we're, we're we're kind of going backwards here, but I'm just I'm just so interested in the in the company that you've built. So uh, tell us more. Like, what's the what's the solution that that you guys have out there today? Yeah. So Solo is completely mobile, and what we really empower borrowers to do is to create their own lending terms. So they can actually come into a marketplace and they can select that I need a hundred dollars for a utility bill. I can repay it on the fifteenth of, mo- of the month when I get paid. Um, I, um, I, I'm willing to give an extra $5 as a return to whoever is willing to help me. And that loan can get posted to a marketplace where you or I or anyone else in the country with an active bank account could actually fund that transaction. And that's extremely empowering to the borrower. But on the lender side of the equation, people with discretionary cash and capital can actually deploy that capital and do two things. One, they can have this positive social impact. Uh, and, you know, we're living in a time where people are looking to you know, give back more than ever be, just because of the effects of COVID and how it's devastated people who work in you know, industries like retail and hospitality. So people can actually give that helping hand. But unlike a GoFundMe, for example, where people are just giving money away, you actually have the, the ability to have that positive social impact as well as earn a return at the same time. And it really creates this double bottom line opportunity for people with discretionary cash where they can actually earn returns and diversify um, the capital that they're you know, putting to work. Um, but on the flip side, borrowers can also solve their short-term cash needs more affordably than ever before. Wow. So, so you've created this, this marketplace to connect people that need money with people that have money. Um, and, and how's that working? It's working extremely well. Um, you know, we're, we're off to a rocket ship start uh, to 2020, uh, which we're extremely excited about. Um, and, you know, we're, we're just really happy that it, we exist at a time where people really need access to this type of capital. Um, we're also at an inflection point where people are looking to diversify and, and deploy 
capital more than ever. And if you're just paying attention to investing and, you know, what's happening with a lot of other fintech companies, they're having more, you know, um, they're having more opportunity than ever. They're having more activity than ever before. And we're just existing at this time to where, you know, we can solve two sides of the market uh, at the same time. And it's, uh, it's just really exciting. Yeah, Travis, man, that is, that's really fun to listen to. So uh, last thing before we kind of get into your, uh, your story here, but what's the future of the sub $1,000 loan market? Like who's, do, do these predatory uh, lending companies, do they have a place in the future? Will they get regulated out or, or outcompeted or will banks start doing this? Or is it just more companies like what you're doing, doing something disruptive? I think that uh, the predatory lending industry um, you know, right, right now they have an administration, um, in, in Washington that has been very supportive of some of the actions that they've, um, you know, have been taking historically. Um, and some of the regulations that were proposed have been since rolled back. Um, so with that said, you know, I, I think right now they're, they're largely safe and in a good position. Um, they are regulated largely on a state by state basis as well. Um, so there are some states, for instance, Ohio that have become much more uh, stringent with the rules and regulations that they put on some of these predatory lenders. However, um, I believe that this industry will largely be disrupted, not necessarily from a regulatory standpoint, but also from you know, incumbents in the fintech world. Uh, I think solo is one option and, and, and one business that's going to disintermediate the industry, but there also has to be a Swiss army knife of solutions available to borrowers because there's no really one size fits all solution for the small dollar lending space. And, you know, when you think about companies that are giving people access to their paycheck early, um, you know, it's phenomenal opportunity and option. However, you think for that same person who's getting access to their earned paycheck, I mean, to their earned hours early, if they were laid off or furloughed or had their hours reduced at work, that's not a solution um, if their car just broke down, right? So then you need um, a separate option. And then you're looking at companies that, you know, will help you prevent overdraft fees and things like that. There has to be multiple solutions in this space to really solve the need of this demographic. Um, but particularly overall, I do believe that collectively we will continue to disrupt and disintermediate that industry. And unfortunately, and I guess maybe fortunately for Solo uh, and some of the other fintechs, banks just don't really seem to want to play in this space. Uh, they can't earn enough. They can't charge enough. Uh, they can't feed people to death. And with that said, they would just rather, you know, charge you overdraft fees, which are arguably much more predatory than, you know, traditional payday loans. But, you know, they have the the regulatory green light to do so. Yeah, you're right. It's an interesting time. And I think all the stuff happening this year will kind of accelerate all these changes that were probably kind of coming slowly. They're probably going to be coming more quickly now. But just the whole the whole industry kind of has an upside down cost structure where all these branches and money acquiring customers. And as you start to like get rid of some of those things and not have branches and not spend thousand dollars acquiring a customer, like you can have a business model that just makes much more sense economically and not have to have such a, so many arduous fees for, for, for people. So it's an, it's an interesting time. It's an interesting space that you're playing in. Yeah, definitely. Couldn't have said it better myself. Completely agree. Cool. Cool. Um, okay. So background time, uh, you mentioned that you were kind of, you know, you felt this, this problem yourself, but, um, I want to get into like how you became an, an entrepreneur and did you think you were going to be doing that? You know, when you went to, when you uh, went to school or grew up or, you know, start, uh, start kind of wherever you want in your, uh, in your history. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. Um, and 
you know, one question that investors would ask me uh, early on is, you know, Travis, what happens, you know, in the event that the economy improves or what happens in the event that there's a downturn? And I would get these questions. And my answer would be, I grew up in Cleveland. Like, I, I, I know what it looks like to watch the economy evaporate, you know, within, you know, my lifetime. Um, you know, I like to say that, and, and I do believe that LeBron James was the last of the economy in Cleveland. Uh, you know, my father worked at General Motors for 37 years. And, you know, you have the auto industry, you had a glass industry, you had a steel industry, and what they call the Rust Belt. And a lot of those jobs are no longer there. You know, the evaporation of the middle class is, is real in, in those areas. And with that said, you know, I, I was, I, I've, I've seen what, you know, you know, oppression looks like. And I've seen what, you know, economic turmoil, turmoil looks like very up close and personal. And I know what it feels like to go to a friend's house and, and click the light switch when you walk in the door and nothing happens. Um, and, and seeing that and having those experiences over, over time, I realized that there were, I, I, I personally grew up in a household that was pretty stable um, and, and overall pretty financially sound. But I had friends and family from young ages that I realized lived a very different life. And when I went to school, my, my main focus was to do something where I would make money. And um, it took me many years to kind of get to the point where I realized that you can actually make money and also have a positive impact at the same time. But when I was in school, I actually thought that I was going to be an attorney. And, and my focus was on matrimonial law. Uh, well, that, that's where I wanted to practice. And it was largely just because I was paying attention to divorce rates. And I realized, well, like 52% of people are going to get divorced. I will always be busy. Um, and it wasn't until I actually spoke to an attorney practicing matrimonial law that I realized uh, that that wasn't a lifestyle that I wanted to live. It was pretty depressing when he broke down what his day actually looked like. Um, and it was also pretty depressing when I realized how much student loan debt he had. Um, so with that said, I said, you know, I, I don't think this is really the avenue that I want to go. So I made this decision to go into finance where I started to build my career as a financial advisor and did that for about eight years. And, and it was in that life that I realized that I was speaking to people on a daily basis who made, you know, half a million dollars a year. But when I would leave work, I would get a text message for a loan of $50. And I realized that people who worked at my firm and people who worked at other firms within the space would have never called people like my father, who even though we had a good standard of living, we grew up in Cleveland. And I, at that time, I was living in New York as I was building my career in finance. And I realized that, you know, he would just be deemed as not having enough assets to manage. And because of that, I realized how many people are, you know, they do have discretionary capital, they would like to earn returns, but no one is showing them how. Um, the, you know, he never had a financial advisor or a financial planner or an investment advisor kind of giving, showing him the ropes of what he should do. Um, he was fortunate enough to be, uh, to, grow, to grow older in an era where he actually had a pension and was able to take advantage of that. But, you know, those days are, are far gone. So with that said, I, I realized that if I, were able, if I was able to unlock capital from people who made between seventy-five dollars and $150,000, for instance, if I was able to unlock that capital and allow them to deploy that capital to earn returns, they could actually help these people who needed loans, um, like some of my friends and family, 
and help them solve their short-term cash needs more affordably. And it actually worked on both sides because, you know, one side you're offering these significant returns and on the other side, you're making these loans cheaper than ever and borrowers have so much more control. And that's really where the idea of solo came from. And, you know, the peer-to-peer lending is, is not a new concept. I definitely didn't create that. However, what I realized from my personal experiences, you know, growing up and then as an adult working in finance is that there was this really interesting inflection point of being small dollar and being short term because a lot of the predecessors in the peer-to-peer lending space were focused on significantly larger size loans, you know, all the way up to $40,000 for debt reconsolidation, down payments on vehicles, um, but not for the single mother who was living paycheck to paycheck who needed money who, who needed money for medicine or who needed money for a metro card um, and or the college student who needed $200 for a textbook that you know, they didn't realize it was on the syllabus. And that's really where the idea of solo came from and, uh, and really where I saw the opportunity. Wow. What a story. Thanks. Um, and so getting into like the, the nitty gritty of, of seeing this, pro- this pain point and wanting to, you know, solve this societal issue, um, but then, you know, walking away from a career that you had been doing for eight years and building in, in New York. Um, how'd you, how'd you go about like, de-risking the business before you before you left your your stable job that's yeah, a it's a phenomenal question um and i only smile just thinking back it took me two years to muster up the strength to leave my former career um my co-founder actually started another business um that went on to be pretty successful um and i was kind of learning the ropes from from him in some regards he had a really you know good career prior to leaving or prior to starting his business. He worked in brand management at Procter & Gamble. And, you know, we come from, you know, African-American communities that have largely not been that well off from a socioeconomic standpoint. So, you know, our parents were like so excited for us that we were working in these careers and we had our own money. We didn't have to call home. We didn't have to ask for anything. And in the event that people needed something, they were actually calling us. Um, you know, because I was the one that was wearing the suit and carrying the briefcase and, and working in New York, New York. So with, uh, <laughs> with that said, you know, when he left his career uh, and went to start his business and I saw some of the roller coaster uh, rides that, you know, that he got on every day and, you know, it just seemed really stressful. I was in no rush to kind of leave my more comfortable lifestyle to, you know, start this startup journey. and think about where, you know, money's going to come from. And ultimately, I thought that I was going to be able to pitch this business. I thought it was a phenomenal idea. I thought that investors would love it. And many of them gave me great feedback early on, but they would ask me this question and they would ask me, am I full time on this? And when I would say no, and for me, it was like, no, duh, I live in New York. I just got married. It's, it's expensive. Um, and my goal is to pitch you this idea. You'll give me money and then I'll leave and I'll, I'll do this. Um, I just thought that that was the only thing that actually made sense. And I realized that I had to, uh, I had to be all in and I had to have some skin in the game. And it took for me, uh, to get told, you know, no, let me know when you're serious, you know, kind of politely from investors for about a year and a half or closer to two years until I actually decided that I was going to do it. And you know, two years of pitching investors, I raised zero dollars. And, you know, three weeks after I started to tell investors that I would be full time within a month, uh, I raised, 
you know, my first hundred thousand dollars. And then from there, it's kind of been off the races. But uh, that's that's the one piece of feedback that, you know, I, I have for other entrepreneurs is that you can't be one foot in, one foot out. Um, and the things that I was excited about uh, getting accomplished, such as like, oh, I have like a new pitch deck. Uh, there was real, there was no real progress being made on the actual business. Um, you know, it was just things that made me feel good internally, but until I was really in it and had no safety net, uh, it, it was, you know, it, until you're really in it, that's the only time you're really going to put your all into it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you gotta have your back up against the wall, I guess. I mean, it's nice to have one foot in, in each, but that's, you know, that's rarely where the, the huge outcomes come from you kind of have to be uh be all in as you say exactly so travis this has been awesome let's get into the last question here about advice you know uh someone kind of trying to walk the same kind of tightrope that you were walking of i've got a job it's not bad it's not my dream job but i don't know if it's the right thing for me should i start a business should i i don't know do something else uh any any you know wisdom from from your journey that you could impart to someone thinking uh those those types of things yeah um you know, follow, follow your passion and, and, and figure out what it is that you may know that other people might not know yet. Um, and believe you're great even before other people are willing to tell you that. Um, I think that's really important when you think about there, there are a lot of opportunities that come from, you know, you know people who are, are not necessarily like the stereotypical, like, hey, you're the perfect person to do this. Um, you don't really know that until you start to explain things that other people just might not be thinking about. And when I started to talk about, you know, 40% of the country doesn't have $400, you try to explain that to someone on Sand Hill Road in, 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 you know, in the Bay Area, they can't even imagine what not having $400 looks and feels like. Um, but, you know, they didn't, they didn't walk into their friends or their family's homes and flick that light switch like I did and, and watch those lights not come on and walk around with flashlights and candles. So those personal experiences are really important. And I think the only way that a business truly works is if you, you have insights that other people don't know, um, you're willing to become an expert at learning, which means you don't, have, you don't know everything right now, but you're willing to put in the time to learn and, and become more, um, you know, more, more understanding of the problem that you're trying to solve. And I think and unless you're all in, it's just not going to work. So, you know, when I look at the opportunity for anyone to, today, you know, that's the, that's the kind of the mindset that I would, I would ask them, I would tell them that they needed to really have. Um, but uh, I would also say, be bold, take risk, um, because you never know what you're capable of until you actually try. Yeah. Well, that's awesome advice, Travis. I, uh, this whole thing has been great. It's been awesome hearing your story and about your company and, and everything. So thank you. Uh, thank you so much for hopping on here and, and telling us it all. Thank you so much for having me, man. Pleasure. Thanks for listening today. If you like moving up, the best way you can support us is by telling your friends and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.